Now, we were talking as a family the other day because we were kind of thinking through. It's like, all right, um, at some point, you know, we'll get another dog. And uh, so what would we name name the dog And uh, if, if we had it? And really, I think the best names that came in our family was to name it either bro or son. And uh, just think it through. It's, it, it'd be, be somewhat funny. Um, the, the word dog is used in this passage that we're in today. And the Greek word that's used in this uh, is, I think, would be a perfect word, a perfect name for a, for a dog. And it's Kunaria. And I think, that, I think that'd be a great name. Just call him Kuna, you know? Not Cujo, but Kun, Kuno, Kuna. And uh, so listen, let's, let's take a look at the context of this because it's kind of crazy what happens in this passage uh, in the uses of, usage of dog. Um, Mark seven twenty four to 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon was gone. Now let's pray. God, thanks for your word that's already been spoken over us, Lord. Uh, this story, Father, we want to we wanna unpack it and to find out who you are, who we are, and how great of a love you have for us and how that changes us, Lord. And so help us as we dive into your powerful word, Lord. Thank you for speaking it over us. We ask for transformation to take place. We ask for any of our friends, Lord, that may be in here, that they've never come to the point of full surrender to Jesus Christ, that they would clearly hear the great news of Jesus, that God came to this earth, that he lived the perfect life that we will never live, died upon the cross with our sins upon him, became the wrath bearer for those sins, took the punishment from your father so that we could have forgiveness. And so we also declare, Lord, that though you you died, Jesus, you rose again from the grave, revealing that you weren't just man, but you're the God-man, the only God-man. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that great news. We pray that you would uh, instill that deeper within our heart and our soul and that we would respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, uh, D.A. Carson uh, is one of, the, one of the guys I go to. He's kind of an adjunct professor here at Sojourn uh, Church. And um, he talks about this, uh, this story. He says this. He says, this is a, a missionary story. It seems as if Jesus was seeking a, quiet, a place of quiet in a Gentile region, but he could not escape notice. This time it was not in a crowd, but it was a Greek-speaking local woman who came begging that he would drive out an evil spirit from her daughter. Okay? So let's unpack it. Uh, verse 24, Mark chapter 7. From there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Um, Tyre was a, was a place 
that was located on the Phoenician coast. It was about 35 miles northwest of the lake called the Sea of Galilee, okay? Um, it was a, a territory that, that um, adjoined northern Galilee in, there in, in Palestine. Um, and, and one of the commentaries said it had been an important trading city. It had close links with Palestine, um, but it was clearly a foreign territory. Josephus, who is one of the most important Jewish historians, said this. It said he, he described the, the Tyrians as notoriously our bitterest enemies. Okay? So I give you a give you a little bit of insight of what's going on in this city and the people that were there. I mean, they were people that were considered not just enemies, but some of the worst enemies to the Jews. Um, the, uh, the, um, this departure that Jesus took from Galilee was a point which he'd been doing lots of ministry and he wanted to pull away. And this is the second of four times that he does this pulling away from Galilee, from the Jewish territory into the Gentile territory. And so this, this was times in which he would play the missionary. He, he would go and he would minister to people that were not Jews, but there was also strategic times of rest and retreat that were built into it. And so this is the front end of that, where he's going, going, coming away from Galilee, away from all the hustle and bustle of all the ministry that's taken place, and he's pulling off into the Tyre and, and Sidon area. And um, so he wanted to rest. He wanted to rest a bit. Um, have you ever thought about the tiredness of Jesus? We, we have a tendency when we think of, of Jesus, those of us who actually believe that he is God, that he is the Savior, uh, we have a tendency to either think of him primarily as, as being just, just God, or sometimes we'll, we'll think of him just primarily as as being human. Most of the times, I, I'd say that you think of Jesus and just his godness, his deity, which he always had, always has, always will have. But we have a tendency to underemphasize his humanity. This was the God-man, the only one that there's ever been, but Jesus got tired. I mean, he worked and worked and worked. He had a fantastic work ethic. But there are times when he just, he just got worn out. Can anybody relate to this? Some of you guys, I mean, I know, I know your work schedules. I know what you do. Some of y'all who are students, some of y'all who you're doing jobs as well as you're doing masters or, or doing undergrad or, or law school or finishing law school and whatever it is that you're just, you're crammed in your time. You just get worn out. And God gives us an opportunity to be compassionate and we're worn out and it, it becomes a, a point by which we say, all right, God, what? What do I really need to do next? You know, can I just rest? Can I just have some downtime? And God does want you to rest. He does want you to have some downtime. But I, but I guarantee this. There are times in your life, probably even the, your last month, where in the middle of you needing to retreat, God gives you an opportunity to be a minister. He gives you something to do that would bring great glory to himself. But I think that as we... As we look at this, um, you know, sometimes you get exhausted. Sometimes you get socially tired. You just, you just don't want to be around people anymore is to know that Jesus got that way himself. He understands. Don't overlook this, the humanity of Jesus. He relates to you and me. Verse 25 says, immediately a woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. 
Now, it, we don't know if the whole village came or if it was just this woman. Um, it, it appears that it was just the woman. And it says that she, she heard of him. So here she is in a different part of, of the Palestinian area there in the ancient Near East. And she, as a Gentile, as an enemy of the Jews, has heard about Jesus Christ. Um, I'm, we're not going to put this up, but Luke chap, chapter 6, verse 17, if you want to look at it later on, it tells us that when the Sermon of the Mount was preached, that there's people there from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And so these are probably some of the folks that came back and they told people, man, you've got you to gotta hear. I've got to tell you about this, this man named Jesus. Verse 26. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now, F.F. Bruce, he said this about her. He said that she was Greek in religion, Assyrian in her language, and Phoenician in race. You got D.A. Carson that says she spoke, she spoke Greek. I, we're not sure exactly what, but she was of a, a different race. She was of a different race. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 15 is where this story is told by Matthew. And he gives some additional details in it. In here, he, he uh, clarifies that she was a Canaanite. And again, these were the long-standing enemies of the Jews. All right? Now, so to put this in, in its proper place, of thinking about an enemy coming, enemy of the Jews coming to a Jew, imagine, imagine at the beginning of, of Hitler's oppression of the Jews. Imagine that the wife of a Nazi came to a rabbi and said, would you please help me and my family? Okay? It's a, it's a similar type of, uh, an, of uh, situation where you've got somebody who's coming to someone that, that would, should hate them, but they've heard good enough things about them that they're taking a risk. Um, Matthew also tells us that uh, Jesus didn't even answer the woman uh, when she asked him. And so um, let's look at what was recorded there. Matthew 15, 23 to 35. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she's crying out after us. All right, hold on for there, there just a second. And so it sounds like when they're in the house, and, uh, and so maybe she's outside the house or maybe she's out at the gates and that she's crying out. She's asking, Jesus, please come help me. Jesus. Which, would, the, would, the one, would the one who's the miracle worker, would he come and help me? My, my daughter has a demon. Please help. And as she was speaking to him, Jesus did not even answer her at that time. And so these other disciples are like, Jesus, would you, would you just shoo her away? Send her back. Send her back. We need to rest. Send her on, Jesus. And he answered, this is what he said to her, this is recorded in Matthew 15, verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. Now Mark picks up on what Jesus said next to her, okay? Verse 27 in Mark 6. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is one of many cases uh, within within the Gospels that's a a hard saying. 
It's like, what, what in the world is going on here? What was up with Jesus? Was Jesus indifferent toward this lady? I mean, didn't he care? What was he doing? Um, let's start out with the, the dog statement uh, that's, that's given here. Now, first of all, the, the word that he gives for dog here, the kunaria, um, was not about, he wasn't describing a wild dog uh, that, you would, that you'd kick or, or, or kill. He was talking about um, a lap dog or a house dog, an actual, an actual pet. And so it's not quite the same as calling somebody a wild dog. And at the same time, it's a dog. He's calling this woman a dog. Now, Jews called Gentiles dogs. That's what they did. That was one of the phrases, one of the, one of the, the caricatures. And so Jesus was repeating an offensive caricature at this point. Now, Gentiles, they would have expected holier-than-thou Jews to make this type of statement. But Gentiles probably wouldn't have expected it of Jesus. And certainly, we wouldn't expect Jesus to call a woman a dog. Now, I believe part of this goes back to Jesus being legitimately tired. But we don't stop there. Um, It's... Jesus' version of strong yet compassionate leadership is something that we need to note and it's something we need to model our lives after. You can see, guys, he had a plan. The words he said were strategic. They were chosen. He was going to expose how cultural prejudices and, and natural tiredness that people experience can blind you to the heart of God and to the mission that God has for you. Do you hear that? He, he wants to expose, I think, first to his disciples how cultural prejudices and natural tiredness will blind you to the heart of God and to the mission that God has for you. Um, this one commentary that I was reading said this. He appears like a wise teacher who allows and indeed incites his pupil to mount a victorious argument against the foil of his own reluctance. He functions as what in a different context might be called devil's advocate and is not disappointed to be defeated in argument. As a result, the reader is left more vividly aware of the reality of the problem of the Jew-Gentile relations and of the importance of the step that Jesus here takes to overcome it. The woman's victory in the debate is a decisive watershed as a result of which the whole future course of Christian movement is set not on the basis of Jewish exclusivism, but of sharing the children's bread. I'll come back to that in a minute. So let the children, let the children be fed first. I mean, again, in the Matthew passage, Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. All right? Now, if you read that straight up, and, and you say, all right, Jesus, did you mean that? That's very, very disconcerting. And so we know this is not the case. We know he was not sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And so what we, what, what we see here is that Jesus is speaking with irony, maybe with some sarcasm, possibly with some playfulness here, because it's clear that he was not sent only to the Jews. Taking it all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 3, the foundation of God's covenant with the Jews was that they would be a blessing to what? The other nations. Genesis 12, 2 and 3 says this. 
talking to Abram. He said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right there in the beginning, the very first of the, the people of God, Abram, Abraham, the father of all of the Jews. He was chosen so that all the nations would be blessed. He would be the one that showed that, that God, God did not love only the people of Abraham, but others would be blessed as well. Romans 1.16 talks about how we're not to be ashamed of the gospel. And part of the reason why is this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, or, or the Gentiles, so to the Jew and then to all others that are, that are not Jews. It's not saying that there's something more important about the Jews, that the Jews are greater uh, than other peoples. What it meant was the Jews were highly favored to have the Messiah come through them. That's the greatness of the Jews, is they were chosen out of all the other people groups that the Messiah would come through, through their line. Um, I said this before. Um, I'll say it again. Uh, if, if he'd not chosen the Jews, if he'd, if he'd chosen the Amorites, or the uh, Amalekites, or another one of the groups, and, and the leader, the head of, those, of that group, we would say the very same thing. Well, why did he choose the Amorites? Why did he choose the Canaanites? There was not something greater about the Jews. What was greater was that God had chosen them, that Jesus was going to come through through their bloodline. And so we, we have a, a great appreciation. We need to build a great appreciation for the Jews. Not because they were a greater people, but because God loved them so much that he wanted the Savior to come through them. Therefore, we need to love the Jews. We need to love those that brought the Savior uh, to this to this world, um, the mission, the mission of the Messiah of Israel, while it must, of course, begin with Israel, will not be confined there. Verse twenty eight says this: She answered him, "Yes, Lord. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs." And so. So Jesus is having this banter with her. Um, he has prodded her with a caricature, with a prejudice that was well known. He baited her and said, look, this is, this is the way the world runs, right? That you, should, you shouldn't be able to have anything good from the Jews because you're not a Jew. Isn't that the way the world should run? And she responds. She responds to him. I mean, she just says, look, she says, look, if I'm, a, if I'm a dog, then let me be a dog that sits underneath the table that the children pass the food that they don't want to eat to, right? Let me be that. Surely that's the case. So she recognized that she didn't have any right to be at the table of her Lord. Guys, God loves humility. Do you realize that you have no right to be at the table of God? that you guys are the vast majority of us here are Christians, do you realize that you had no right to be a child of God? Do you, do you recognize that you're not the hero of the story? Do you realize that you're not the one that chose God and that you, 
You, get, you allowed him to have one more notch on the belt because you decided to be on his team. That's not how it worked. You're a child of his because he chose you. Because he loved you so much. Before there was even a world, before there was a fall, he'd already decided, I'm going to capture their heart. I'm going to love them. I'm going to die for them. I'll raise again to be able to, to bring them into, into my family. He loves humility. And so one of the things that, that she did was she, she said, yes, Lord. And in that, she began, she began talking, began this little debate with him by recognizing the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's one of the things that you and I need to do. That in, in our trouble, whether, whether it's a triumph or whether it's a difficulty that we're in, that as we, we, as we look at it and as we go before God in prayer about it, that we we first of all start out by recognizing the lordship of Jesus Christ. That we start out by saying, yes, Lord. You know, that's one of the best phrases you can say. Yes, God. Yes, Jesus. That's, that's a great way to start out a prayer. Yes, God. First of all, whatever you say. Now I want to talk to you. I want to bring, bring my heart and my perspective to this. But I want to start out by saying, yes, Lord. Whatever it is that you declare for me, for my family, for my church, for my city... For my, for my school, for my business, my organization. Start out by saying, yes, Lord. She recognized the lordship of Jesus Christ. She also recognized her dependence upon Jesus Christ. Recognize that, guys. Recognize that you are nothing without Jesus being active in your life. That right now, if he wasn't good enough to bring the grace of keeping your cells together, you would fall apart. You'd die right now. You're not in control of your life. Anything that it's good in your life is a result of God. And even those of you who are my friends that you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, I want you to know, even now God shows His love. It's called a common grace. That even though you're not His child, God is bringing blessing and protection in your life, even though you're not even His child. I just say, man... What a great day it'd be to surrender to Jesus so that you go from being a dog under the table to being a child. It was like, um, it was like this mother was saying, Jesus, even the people feed their pets. So Lord, would you please help me? Would you please help me? This kind of reminded me of Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Talking about the character of God and the way he loves and the way he loves his children. He said, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Some of y'all, you need to meditate on that one. You need to write it down. You need to pray it through. And, and just say, God... Reveal to me your greatness and your bigness. And how much more? I, I look at my, maybe we say I look at my friends and how loyal I am to them. I look at my family and how loyal I am to them. My, my wife or to my husband and the, the things, the pains, the difficulties, the sacrifices that I make. And God says, look, if you think loyalty and love and compassion is powerful among people to people, you can't even imagine what it's like for God to love his children. He loves you. He loves you, cares for you deeply. 
He's standing right here with you, no matter where you are. He's standing with you when you're, when you're on the mountaintop and you had a huge success and you receive all the glory and you keep it. He's standing right there and he doesn't leave you, even though you've just pushed him away. When you're down in the valley, things are rough, things are horrible, maybe because of your mistakes or somebody else's mistakes. And he's right there, and you don't call out to him. He's still there. He's standing right there with you. It's interesting to me that the, um, um, we have this, this symbol of bread that's brought up again. And I don't believe this is any kind of an accident either. Because Jesus has declared himself to be the bread the bread of life, a bread that's not offered just to the Jews, but to all peoples, not just to Americans, not just to the middle class. Jesus loves the world. He loves the nations. He's showing that through, through this woman who the disciples would have been just fine for her just to, to go away. She's just a woman or she's a Canaanite. She's not, she's not from our side of the tracks. She doesn't have the same skin color as us. She doesn't speak the same language. She doesn't have the same values. She's not as good as us. Jesus broke through all of those misconceptions, all those horrible cultural caricatures that we fall prey to. And he said, I love this woman. I love this woman. God loves people of different cultures. He loves people of different races. Um, I, I had a, a great conversation on New Year's Eve, excuse me, not New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, right in here uh, a few days ago, um, where um, there was a, a new friend who was uh, uh, from, from India and uh, been in the States for a few years now, spoke very well uh, in, in English, and had a, a, a really interesting discussion about God and, and Jesus. He was an unbeliever and knew it He's spiritual, you know, but doesn't buy into the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, one of the things he was just talking about, how he's just talking about a kind of American Christianity. And, and uh, I mean, he, he respects Christians. He respects Jesus. He, he certainly wasn't a, um, a hardcore, hostile atheist. Um, but one of the things that he, he started leaning toward that a lot of folks will do is they'll just say, well, you know, that's just an American religion. It's an American faith, and I was like, "It's like you know, do you realize that it's that this that this faith it wasn't birthed among white people, uh, it wasn't birthed over here in North America. It's actually a, a Middle Eastern uh, faith and religion. That's what Christianity is. It was it was birthed in the ancient Near East. It was Oriental rather than more Western in its philosophy, and it spread all over the world." And one of the beautiful things, for, for a long time, America has been, and the West and England and others have been, the West has been, you know, the center points of Christianity and so much energy in there in these last century and a lot of missionary uh, activities going around the world. But guys, I want you all to know something, that it doesn't stop there. In fact, as in, in, the, in England and in the, in the UK... Things have not only plateaued, they've declined. Uh, here in America, and some, some people might even say we've, we've at least plateaued, if not declined, as far as the influence of Christianity. But in the other parts of the world, in the Orient, in, in, in Asia, 
in South America, uh, in Africa, man, the gospel is booming. There are more Christians outside of the West than there are in the West, and it's rapidly expanding. God loves the world. This is not an American religion. And I just challenge you that you would humbly correct someone if they start saying, oh, that's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a religion for white people, or it's a religion for the middle class, or it's a religion for America. They're just saying, no, thank God, no, God loves the world. And he wants us to think through the ramifications of that. Because God can't, he's not going to call you all over the world. He's going to call you to a city that you that you will live in, or maybe moves you around a little bit, but he's going to call you in a spot where you live. But God, I believe that for every Christian that there is, I believe there's, there's just got to be a nation or a people group that God puts on your heart outside of where, where you are. I mean, what would happen? I mean, that's not biblical. There's, I can't point to anything there. So it's just my, just my thoughts here. But, but what if that happened? What if, what if God said, all right, listen, be faithful where I've planted you, but also this group over here in this nation or this nation or even a, a subgroup, a subculture, even in your own nation, but it's outside of who you are. God calls you, calls you to be a part of, of what he wants to do to reach the cultures, the nations, the tribes all over the world, including our own, our own nation, including our own city, all the tribes and, and nations that are here. I was uh, so glad to meet this this friend and uh, be able to speak with him and and some of the some of the thoughts that he had about Jesus and uh, again uh, exclusivity was something that I mean he again he wasn't hostile but it just it's something that's offensive that uh, that there could be only one only one way and I I, uh, I gave him I gave him a book by Tim Keller called The Reason for God and I said if, if you'd read this I'd be glad to to give it to you and just, you know, give me a shout. I mean, there's no strings attached, but if, if I can assist you, let's talk through things some more. And uh, just a side note about that, I met him because a couple here in Sojourn invited him, invited him to come to the New, to the new Year's Eve service. We're not having a New Year's Eve service, all right? The Christmas Eve service. Um, and uh, I... My prayer is one of the things that 2013 brings for, for Sojourn Church is that we really become a strategic, invitational people. That we invite people to our lunch table, we invite people to our dinner table, and we invite people to the Lord's table. That throughout your work or school week, wherever it is, that outside of your home, that, you, that you're strategic and just listening to the Lord of, of who it is that you get around and you eat, eat lunch with that God's placed in your life that are not believers, that you be strategic about who it is that you invite into your home, to your own dining table, your breakfast table, that you'd invite unbelieving friends that God ordains. Not people you have to force it on, but people you just notice God's work at work in, in this area of life. And you invite them there. But you don't stop there. You invite them to the Lord's table. You invite them. Invite them to come on a, on a Sunday morning. Invite them to come to a, a journey group or, where, where sojourn is scattered in these groups all over the city. Where we're trying to be disciples together. Try to be missionaries together. That you invite them into the, the family of God. And Of course, the most important thing is that you just very humbly but boldly just say, Man, I invite you to Christ. I invite you to place, 
Place your life in His hands. You don't have to have all the, all the answers, but man, just say, man, Jesus, He changed my life and He can change yours too. May God give us a heart for uh, our unbelieving friends that God loves so much and, and certainly a heart for, uh, for the nations. Verse 29. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon was gone. So let's talk about this, the freeing of the, of the girl that took place here. This is the only miracle mentioned in Mark that Jesus performed at a distance without ever having seen the person or issuing some kind of an audible command. All right? Did, did, you, did you catch that? The only time that it's mentioned here in Mark where Jesus wasn't at the place and he didn't even say something audibly. All right? Now, what are the ramifications of, of that? This tells us something about the limitless power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, he freed this possessed girl. And what, what's, what's interesting to me is this story is not really that much about this girl. It's about the mom. It's not about the girl as much as it is about loving people of a different ethnicity or a different tribe or a different, different culture. But part of, the, part of the reason I think this speaks to us today is some might say, man, Jesus did all those powerful things when he was present only. Nope. This busts that up. Um, Jesus did not have to be there, and he didn't even have to speak specifically to the demon. There's a lot of little, little micro-doctrines that have been developed by different denominations and folks uh, over the centuries that will talk about, well, you've got to do it this way. If you're, somebody's to do an exorcism or for somebody to be saved, they've got to pray a prayer just this certain way or all these different things. And then, again, some people just saying, well, you know what? If Jesus was here and Jesus was walking with me like the disciples, I'd be faithful like him. You know, it's like if, if he could be present, then I'd, I would do better. Well, of course, that's debunked anyway because these guys were all idiots. You know, they, they, Jesus was walking with them every day and they still didn't get it. Jesus didn't have to be there bodily. He didn't have to be here bodily right now for him to use you. Then when God gives you this next opportunity for an unbelieving friend or family member, and you're prodded, say something. Declare, declare Jesus. Invite them to Christ. That he doesn't have to be there standing right next to you physically for you to have the courage to do it. Because he's within you through the Holy Spirit. He is, he is with us. He is right there. And he's able to do whatever, whatever he desires. But again, import, so important in this is that he frees not only, not only us, but he frees those of different cultures. God loves the world. God loves the weak. Now I want to unpack a, a few things as we, as we come to a close in this. Just, first of all, I want to talk about some lessons in approaching God from this pagan woman. I mean, what, what are some things that we can learn and uh, as, as a result, and I believe it's, it, the, that she responded the way she did because the Holy Spirit was at work in her life already. But what are some things that we can, we can learn about approaching God? First of all, guys, listen to this. If this woman, if this mother had walked away discouraged by the ugliness of the disparity of her world, 
Because again, Jesus, Jesus said a statement that just kind of ran parallel with the way the world thought. If, she, if she'd walked away, discouraged by that, and hadn't pressed in, her daughter would not have been healed. You with me? If she'd not pressed in, if she had been so discouraged that she just walked away, what about us? What is it, you guys, that discourages you spiritually? What is it that keeps you from pressing into Jesus Christ? Guys, do you know that if you relent, first of all, God is gracious and merciful so much of the time, and I'm so grateful that I don't have to get it all right for him to respond with mercy and grace in my life, okay? Or in someone else's life. That's not the case. It's not, it's not, it's not, um, it's not a matter of how good I am. At the same time, God doesn't always work that way. There are times in which God will allow a void to remain when we do not press in. And so, when you look and you see the reality of this world and its brokenness, or you see and it's just like, God, why, why don't I see you doing something more to change this? That can bring a discouragement that will keep you from pressing in, and that will actually end up being a catalyst, an anti-catalyst of a sorts by which action doesn't take place. God calls us to press in, you guys. He invites us. He provokes us at times. You know, I believe there's some times in which it's almost as if he's saying, yeah, just look at this world. It really does stink. It's horrible. What can, what can we really do? And he's provoking us to just say, you know what, Jesus, that is not where your heart is. Your heart, God, is one of change and a God of, a God of mercy. Um, I believe that we need to we we need to be people that we believe he's a God of mercy and then we ask and we ask and we ask that we knock on the door and we keep knocking on the door. I mean very practically when you pray to him make a case based upon his mercy and on your sonship or on your daughtership by which you go and you just say God I'm not considered a dog anymore. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. And so I, I'm asking, based upon your fatherhood in my life, which ends up in my sonship or my daughterhood, I bring this to you. God, would you heal this person? Would you bless this person? Would you provide in this way? Would you protect in this manner, based upon your greatness, where you took taken us from dogs to being your kids? And we know, we know that you don't give stones to your kids to eat when they cry out for food. We know that you love your kids. And so, God, I ask you, reveal your grace. Reveal your mercy to your kids. Pour it out. Guys, God wants us to come before Him like that. Not asking just for our own pleasures. He speaks to that, that, those type of prayers. But He wants us to toil with one another and for one another to wrestle in prayer. That we don't just say, well, God's sovereign. He's going to do whatever He wants. Don't be that guy. Be a person that goes and just say, God... I'm your child. 
And I know you love me, so please just protect me as only a dad would. That God's designed it to where things happen when we remind God who he is. Not because he's forgotten, but because it brings him glory. It brings him great glory when we tell him our realization and recognition of who he is, you guys. He invited the woman to engage him, invite you to. Dad, I ask this because you chose me. You decided to make me your son. You decided to make me your daughter. I ask as a son. I ask as a daughter. Please, Dad. Guys, to a certain degree, we're all like dogs who get crumbs from, from the plate. None of us deserved Christ. None of us deserved grace. And there's three things that I want to point out to you that I think that that'll help you. Uh, in recognizing that at a deeper level. First is I think we need to appreciate the Jews. I'm not just talking about the country, not just talking about the borders, but I'm talking about the people, the Jews. Salvation came through Jesus, through that people group. Remember Romans 1.16. Just recall it. I mean, it's the, the biblical concept of mission was based on the special choice of Israel which was the center by which God's blessings were spread out to the nations, the Genesis 12 passage that we hit a little while ago. Appreciate the Jews. Thank God for the Jews. Pray for the Jews. If you've got a Jewish friend who's not a, a believer, not a Messianic Jew, pray for them. Not just, don't just pray for their salvation. Ask God to bless them. Thank God for them. Secondly, you need to appreciate your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or friend or co-worker that prepared the way for you and that through them the gospel came to you a Sunday school teacher when you were a kid that street preacher that, that caught your attention the very first time or again somebody close to you that shared with you the greatness of Jesus Christ man appreciate appreciate that that they were like the child who was giving the crumbs to us the the dogs at that time which God took that and took us from being dogs to being children. Finally, third, is ask God to use you to bless someone who's not like you. Don't think of them as a dog, okay? Don't think of yourself as the great child who has the scraps to give to the dogs. But look at everyone out there as saying, you're either at the table or you're just not at the table yet, all right? Now, we know that's not true. Not everybody's going to be saved. But from our vantage point... We don't need to be thinking who's going to be in and out. We just need to look and say, man, either you're already at the table or you're just not there yet. Come to the table. Come to the table. Who is it that we may view as untouchable? Who is it that we may view as unlovable like the disciples did of this woman? Who is it that we may view as unreachable? Jesus loves them. Somebody just said, said, Jesus loves them. Now, you may be a person, though, that you may feel you're, that you're unlovable or that you're unreachable. I want you to know you're not. You could never have gotten to Jesus, but Jesus came for you. He came to this earth. He lived the life that you'll never live. He's perfect. He did, died the, die, the death that you should have died with punishment for all of your sins upon him instead of you. And I say, turn to Christ. Turn to Christ even today if that's you. Now, guys, in just a second... Uh, after I pray, 
Uh, in fact, band, y'all can come on up if you want. Um, after I pray, the tables are going to be opened up. And this is a time for communion by which we go to these tables and we take uh, the bread which represents Christ who was broken for us. Jesus said, this is my body which was broken for you. He said that to his disciples. He said, take and eat it. And Jesus took, took the wine at that point. He said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. Take it and drink it. And we're told by the scriptures that we would do this regularly. And so we do this every Sunday. And if you are a believer in here, this is your time to come. Take the bread. And uh, you're not going to drink from the cup, but instead you can dip it either dip the bread either in the juice or in the wine that's there. And there you could take it, or you can go back to your seats, or you can get in groups and pray. I mean, you just have a lot of freedom of the way that of the way that you want to do this. But here's the deal: Jesus took all of us who were dogs and he made us children, and he still invites us to his table to celebrate his great grace. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. God, uh, I don't know that anybody in here that was born a Jew who, who got saved. So most likely every one of us were, were Gentiles, Father. Thank you that you love the Gentiles too. Thank you, God. Thank you that you sent people across, across thousands of miles and across thousands of years to bring the gospel to us. May we celebrate that by going to the table, being served, Lord bread symbolizing your body that was broken, the, the, the wine, the juice that symbolized your blood that was poured out. And we declare, God, you are great. And Lord, we declare that you're, you're with us as we declare your death, burial, and resurrection through communion. God, there's a special, there's a special blessing that takes place because you're here that as we come to the table, you're right there. You meet us. Just again, God, may, may we just almost hear you saying, you're not a dog. You're my son. You're not a dog. You're my daughter. Help us as we prepare to go to the table and celebrate our sonship and daughtership in Jesus' name.